Welcome back to Podcast Part 3, the Part 3 Podcast. I am Sam, and he is Will. That's right. And there's a new Spider-Man out. There's a third Spider-Man out, and we were so excited. It's getting great reviews, and uh, we, we were just so excited about it that we decided to instead watch 2007's Spider-Man 3. <laughs> the conclusion to the uh, the Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man trilogy. One of the most, possibly the most all over the place movie we've watched so far. Yeah, I think that's true, but also the most consistent. Like, yes. It, 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 it's all over the place, but it feels very consistent, which is yeah. yes. weird. Yes. I- yeah. I would put this in that category, that rarefied category of bad sequels that are still very much uh, in keeping with the f- filmmaker's vision. Yeah, your your yeah. your your Revenge of the Sith, your 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 Beyond Thunderdome, <laughs> your uh, Matrix Revolutions, which we'll be getting to next week. I think that's right. Yep. Yeah. It's um. So this well, is I mean, yes. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Sam. Sorry. No, you look ready to burst. Well, well, I I, so I, well, it's just there's so many places I think you can go with this. There's so many places to start. But I do kind of want to take a wider look uh, before we dive in and just think about this movie. Uh, it's it's like an inflection point uh, for Hollywood blockbusters and superhero blockbusters at the same time. And it sort of ends a run of movies that began in 1999 with like the matrix and the, the phantom menace and continued on into uh, Lord of the Rings, where there are these bizarre auteur driven blockbusters that just like, you know, Lord of the Rings movies are that, and you have weird stuff like Chronicles of Riddick and the pirates of the Caribbean movies where it's like, Hollywood was sort of like, I don't know, the geeks sort of know what's going on. Why don't you take a crack at some of this nonsense? And you get some really crazy movies. And I think this and actually the third Pirates uh, movie, which came out the same year, sort of marks the end of that. And then with 2008, you have the one-two punch of Iron Man and the Dark Knight, uh, the Dark Knight, which then kicks off Nolan's real, really Nolan's big blockbuster career as he becomes sort of a genre in and of himself, and the MCU kicks off. So it's sort of this interesting sort of breaking point where it's like that era of Hollywood blockbusters, which just just ends. <laughs> yeah, and I would say even on a, on a slightly narrower note, this 2007 is definitely the end of a specific era of superhero movies. Yeah. That I would say yeah. you you starts 98 2000 you've got Blade but more I'd say more the kickoff point was the first X-Men. X-Men. Yeah. And then in 2002 you get Spider-Man and uh, you know for you kids that are uh have only been alive for one Spider-Man actor or two I I can't stress how mind-blowing it was to have a spider-man movie that 
looked good, was pretty good coming out like when we were young, innocent nerds before superhero movies were a juggernaut box office presence. And, you know, before nerd stuff was cool. And, and something that was actually largely pretty comic accurate, too. Like, there was so much about that first Spider-Man movie. Actually, all three, really, that just sort of... It it takes so much inspiration from the art and the writing and, and the earnestness. It all feels like very early Spider-Man comics. And those had never been translated this this way before. Yeah, and it's... And it was a, a movie... And again, it was Sam Raimi is not, like, a gun-for-hire director, he no. was a director that was very much like that's an artistic choice because he's also he wasn't a director that had a huge any huge box office hits up no. until that point. Like, I think Darkman had been successful, but on a much smaller scale. And he'd had some critical successes with a simple plan, but he was still the evil dead guy and he was going to do Spider-Man. And that yeah. was huge. And and he was a big fan of the Spider-Man comics, too. Yeah. Like That was kind of a big thing, too, because in a lot of ways you sort of, you had your Tim Burton's who like had a vision, but was not a comic book fan when he came on to Batman and, and similar with Joel Schumacher, you know, you have, you have people who have are stylists, but they, they're not like comic book fans. They're not yeah. deep entrenched in it. That, that the post Tim Burton Batman era of superhero movies is really like just a lot of projects that never got off the ground. And yeah. in there was the somewhat infamous James Cameron Spider-Man that has, you know, <laughs> him. It's, it's 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 real horny. If you ever know, any, it's like a lot of uh, spider mating dances. And uh, yeah. yeah, it takes it takes all the the metaphors that the first Raimi Spider-Man movie did for for puberty. And it just runs with them as far yeah. as it can go. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it, you know, you can only speculate what might have been. But, uh, yeah, so this, so Spider-Man 2, or Spider-Man 1 comes out in 2002. Spider-Man 2 comes out in 2004. And Spider-Man 2 is still considered one of the best superhero movies. Yeah. And I think definitely set the tone for how much people were anticipating Spider-Man 3. But herein lies the problem with Spider-Man 3 is that the fans wanted something very specific. <laughs> they wanted a very specific character because after you do Green Goblin and after you do Dr. Octopus, there's really only one big gun left and it's Venom. And Venom does not fit with the dorky, earnest, non-cynical Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Yeah, and... Also, I don't think I think Raimi was drawn to villains who had a very like interesting visual dynamic that could contrast Spider-Man's. And I think his his feeling was, I don't know, evil Spider-Man. What is there to do with that? I haven't done already. Like I've done the web swigging thing and I don't he's clearly interested in doing Sandman and like all the his stuff. But like, yeah. Like, he's like, evil Spider-Man, eh, I don't know. <laughs> and and then obviously wrapping up the ongoing plot of the whole trilogy, which is, you know, uh, Peter Parker's relationship to Harry Osborn. Harry Osborn right. wanting revenge for the death of his father and uh, and all of that. That's, that's the sort of driver of the story. 
And the villains are kind of a little bit peripheral to that in terms of the arc. This is the thing that this is my revelation that I had this time. Venom isn't the character that's wedged into this movie. Sandman is. Yeah. He's Sam Raimi was trying to get the things that he wanted in a movie that the studio that Aviar and and Sony very much were like, you got to make a Venom movie. The fans want Venom. And that's it's not unreasonable for the fans to want Venom. Because Venom is, I mean, for those of you that don't know Venom's backstory, he, he, he a character from the 80s. He was created by Todd McFarlane, who created Spawn. And he is like, he's so 80s edgelord. 80s, 90s edgelord, yeah. Yeah, and he's, yeah. He, he's one of the great uh, pop culture characters that was a villain that fans loved so much that he became an anti-hero. He's the, he's the Boba Fett. Of, of Spider-Man. <laughs> that's what he is. Yeah, I think that's about right. And and what what I don't understand, because we've now had three movies featuring Venom. What is it about this character who, for all intents and purposes, is played very seriously in the comics and is considered a great threat that filmmakers think needs to... Like, why is he constantly just a comic character? Like, comedic. He's like none of his three movies, including two Venom movies, take him seriously at all because he's just an evil Spider-Man. But I mean, I get it. I get that there's like, a you know, lore and backstory and everything and, and things with the symbiote that it creates carnage and other things. But at the end of the day, like you boil him down to like his essence. He's just evil Spider-Man. I, I, I guess, but I also don't agree he is, if you, you gotta, you gotta just, he's an alien parasite that comes to Earth and takes over your body and basically brings out, you know, the worst in you and, and make, and makes you do horrible things. And he's got a Spider-Man coat of paint on him and he, he swings around on a web. <laughs> Other than that, he, I just don't feel like, I don't feel like it's a thing where filmmakers get this character and all the source material and throw up their hands and say, I don't know what to do with it. I, I, I just don't see it. And in, in Spider-Man three, the whole concept of this costume that makes you, you know, become your, the worst version of yourself is played as the goofiest shit imaginable. <laughs> well, it is. And it isn't at the same time, which is sort of the movie's problem is because like you say, Rami can't take, the symbiote seriously enough that he doesn't sort of follow the thread as seriously as it does. However, uh, Peter does hit Mary Jane at a certain point. So it it is like, it is making him bad. And it, it, it's clear, you know, that if Raimi had sort of followed the, the venom thread only and not anyone else, um, I think you could have structured the story around the black suit um, which, you know, could have been its own movie anyway. But if you had structured the story around the black suit, then I think you could have even had some of the goofier stuff sort of in like a first act. Yeah, you you can play it part, for comedy, you know? but then have it become more and more insidious. Exactly, yeah. Peter Parker hits Mary Jane at the end of a scene that where he does, he, he's doing <laughs> so much dancing and so much piano playing, and he is just turning Gwen Stacy on. And it, it's it's absurd. <laughs> but it, uh, when I was watching it, I was like, in a vacuum, if it wasn't played so goofy, this is a point in the movie where Mary Jane has, you know, 
Peter has become so wrapped up in being Spider-Man that Mary Jane feels neglected. She's lost her job after one performance on a Broadway show and is back to being a singing waitress at a jazz club. Peter brings the girlfriend of the man who he just humiliated in front of the entire Daily Bugle staff (laughs) to the jazz club to twist the knife on Mary Jane. If it wasn't played for comedy, it's the cruelest thing Peter Parker's ever done. And uh, yeah, at that point, like right as soon as they were walking into the jazz club, I wrote in my notes, this movie really makes Peter Parker really unlikable. No, he's a piece of shit. He sucks, and he sucks even before he gets the suit. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's not great in this movie. There is a point in this movie where Sandman is no, not, uh, not he's, he's like down for the count. He's off being in the, like a mud man for a while. And the <laughs> plot revolves around three fully functional douchebags. <laughs> because you have Topher Grace in full douche mode, James Franco in full douche mode, making omelets and listening to Chubby Checker, and you have uh, Tobey Maguire in full douche mode with his evil emo hair. It's it's insane. There's a point in this movie where there's no villains. It's just watching Peter Parker be a jerk. Yeah, and it's because the movie doesn't do the work to sort of get him going to that dark place. And that when he does get out of it, you're not like, oh, yeah, Spider-Man, like the theme is playing. He's putting on the old suit. You're like, you should be like fist pumping. You're kind of like, oh, oh OK, we we got here way too fast. No, it, it's what's crazy is that he puts the suit on. And the first thing he does is or so he thinks kill a man in cold blood. Right. And then the 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 whole black suit sequence right. begins. It's like he does the murder and then it's about, oh, he's turning into a bit of a jerk. Yeah, you kind of want to, you want the murder hitting MJ to be the end of it all, of when yeah. Spider-Man realizes, and that conversation with Aunt May, and that's when Spider-Man goes, oh, I'm going too far. And therein lies, therein, to me, lies the problem with Sandman, in and the whole, this is your, fa- your uncle's real killer backstory that's added in. It's the one thing too many. You can make this a story. I mean, the theme at the end of the day, according to my notes, the theme is forgiveness. Right. Harry Osborn yeah. learning to forgive uh, Peter Parker. Peter Parker learning to forgive Sandman for things we didn't know about until this movie. <laughs> and all of it centered around this alien suit that brings out the worst in Peter. And right. uh, Willem Dafoe's influence bringing out the worst in his son from beyond the grave. And it's the two of them learning to rise above it and team up and stop Venom. That's what the movie right. should be. But right. that movie isn't what Sam Raimi wanted to make. No. And it's, this movie is falling apart like as it goes under the weight of all the additional shit that's crammed into it. we I mentioned her, Gwen Stacy's in this movie. Yeah, and that, that also confused me, too. Why have her at all? Like, if you're going to bring her... I, I, mean, dude, was, I mean, I know this, this wasn't actually intended as, like, a capper to three movies. They were intending to make a Spider-Man 4. Yeah. So was she going to be showing up in other movies? Was that the plan? I have no idea, because the, the Spider-Man 4 was also going to introduce Felicia Hardy. It was going to have the black cat. So, it, like, Anne Hathaway was, uh, uh, amusingly enough, going to play the black cat. Well, and I thought she was... I thought Anne Hathaway was going to be, like, the Vulture's daughter, a new character or something like that. But I think that. she was still, like, the black cat. Right, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> John Malkovich as the Vulture might have been cool, though. 
It might have been fun. But uh, it was not meant to be. Uh, no, it's... <laughs> there are ex- existing characters in the franchise that get completely shoved off to the side. I... I wanted more Elizabeth Banks as Betty yeah. Brand. Just give her the Gwen Stacy part because she's right yeah. there. And she's kind of like what little you get of her. She's kind of like the bad girl. Like she's yeah. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah. into like the, the two scenes you get. Like there's a the, the dancing montage. <laughs> you get a couple moments where like Betty Brand is way into evil emo Peter Parker. She is fully on board with him. So make that like she's. She could be the Gwen Stacy part, and she's kind of a bad influence. She's dating this dickhead, and then Peter Parker humiliates him, and she's like, fuck that, I'm gonna fucking cuck Eddie Brock and go out with (laughs) Peter Parker. Well, and then you could, and then it also plays a little bit more into the jealousy angle with with MJ. Um, If MJ actually sort of knows Betty Brandt on some level, whether it's just through, you know, Peter talking about this is the person who cuts the checks or whatever. You could build, you could establish that they all are friends. Have yeah, it, oh, and and to go on a step further, this movie out of necessity was like we can't deal with Harry Osborn until Act Three, so we're going to give him amnesia. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and because Harry Osborn has since Spider Man One assumed that Spider Man had murdered his father. Spider Man Two, he finds out that Spider Man is Peter Parker. Now he's got all the things in place to get his revenge. And when he tries, Peter fucking clotheslines him like hard. And then is surprised when his friend looks like he's broken his neck. (laughs) But what if Harry forgave Peter in act one and everyone, all the characters thought all was well, but we as an audience knew that Harry was plotting something you have, right? Like give him instead. It's just James Franco acting like a lovable doofus and 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 make it making omelets and hanging out with his weird old butler <laughs> making omelets and uh painting he was painting in one scene and like yep, just wandering around eating cotton candy <laughs> yeah he's just like there are just characters that like drift in and out of this movie and it like aunt may shows up like twice yeah it's J. J. jonah jameson gets like i i hate to say this this breaks my heart this movie has too much J.K. Simmons and it has too much Bruce Campbell. You didn't need as much as you got. There's a whole sequence of just J. Jonah Jameson taking medication that goes on <laughs> for conservatively 36 minutes. I I did like Bruce Campbell's John Cleese impression. I thought that was fun. It was fine. It, he's in the opening credits. Like his, yeah, his name's yeah. in the opening credits. So I guess I guess it was a five and above. So <laughs> It's another it's that Sam Raimi thing that you see in the first two Spider-Man movies, but it's 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 cranked up to 11 here. Every scene has goofy featured extras. Yes. Yeah. Everyone screaming. Everyone or like just making funny faces. Little kids going "Eh," when they kiss. (laughs) Every scene has a comedic button and it takes all the dramatic weight out of a movie that should be pretty heavy. All things considered. You I'm of the opinion that when you're telling a, a character story over multiple films the stakes and the drama should get higher with every movie like return of the jedi has a lot of stuff that's played for comedy and is arguably the silliest of the original three movies but there's also like this huge character resolution that happens there yeah it doesn't 
it treats the the human drama as serious, the the dram, dr- the dramatic stuff as as serious as it does. It it just makes it feel like we're not in the real world, like even compared to the other two Spider Man movies. You know, at least the other two sort of spent some time fleshing out what this cinematic version of New York is. Like, yeah, you get those asides, you get those sort of like goofy things where like the 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 buskers are like singing about Spider-Man and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And I, you get like the random people who are just talking to the camera. Like I miss all of that in this movie. And instead you get like exposition newscasts and like, Oh yeah. We, we haven't even gotten Greek chorus of reporters in the final action sequence. Yeah, like it's just, and it's it sort of, that's like sort of the element of the Raimi Spider-Man movies that I think makes them special that a lot of superhero movies forget about that. It's sort yeah. of like, it's expanded. The world feels like it's, you could go around a corner and find something else going on that isn't yeah. related to Spider-Man. I would describe it, especially the first two, it's the same New York that's in Meg Ryan romantic comedies. Yeah, absolutely. It's the and same I, New York yeah. as 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 like You've Got Mail. It's it's the New York where, you know, there's a third character in this Spider-Man movie and it's the city of New York. You know, <laughs> it's that. And then this one, it doesn't like this one was shot in New York. I was living in New York the summer they were filming this. I saw the sets, but like it, it doesn't it, this one is the one that feels like, oh, they filmed it in, in, in Atlanta or they filmed right. it in Pittsburgh. You know, it doesn't. It's something about it. It's like that shift from the first to the second Ghostbusters, where the first Ghostbusters is very much shot in the city, and the second one is very much shot on like a, <laughs> on studio, a studio lot. lot. Yeah, yeah. It's, what is the musical that 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 she's in? I don't know. I, where she I, singing? It's the song she's singing is from Annie. Get your gun. Yeah, I don't know what it must be like a jukebox musical. That was my my only thought. And and also, I wrote it down like five times in my notes. Why hasn't Sam Raimi made a musical, a movie musical? He'd be perfect for a movie musical. Uh, I don't know. He clearly wants to make one. <laughs> yeah, I he should. You know, I'm sure Disney would have loved for that Wizard of Oz movie to have the Wizard of Oz songs in it, but yeah. <laughs> they only they only like to pretend they have the rights to the Wizard of Oz. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I. It's a very good question. I Sam Raimi's such an interesting director because you feel like he should be doing more stuff. Right. But he kind of like he produces a lot of TV. He directed episodes of and produced the Evil Dead series. Right. And I think he and Bruce Campbell are kind of custodians of the Evil Dead franchise, even though you get the sense they both kind of want to move on. Would from rather it. Not, yeah, not be, but yeah. And and now he's back. He's doing Doctor Strange. So right. he's back to the superhero well. And I'm glad. I love Sam. I'm always going to go see what Sam Raimi's up to. Like, he yeah. did Drag Me to Hell, which was fantastic. Yeah. And his dramas in the 90s are really good. Like, A Simple Plan is a fantastic movie. It's those are like the best movies the Coen brothers never made. Yeah, absolutely. A Simple Plan rules. So does The Gift. The Gift yes. freaks me out. The, the Gift, uh, I only knew it for a long time through references in Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's weird. It's, it's because all of these things are in the movie. None of them feel fully baked. Like the alien suit never feels all that alien. No. Because he can take it off and put it in the closet. Yeah, and you almost you almost want like... I like that the movie gives Mary Jane sort of a, a plot that's kind of going on regardless of Spider-Man. Um, but you almost want her to be like 
figuring out what the hell is wrong with Peter Parker and figuring yeah. out that the, the black suit is causing this. And it's insane that she would like Harry Osborn attacks her and says, if you want Peter to live, you basically have to dump him. Right. And it's insane that she doesn't warn Peter. And it's insane that Peter doesn't suspect something's up. And it's insane that Harry just gives himself up as being like manipulating them both the way he does. All the characters are, are just, I mean, it's, it's, it's classic screenwriting 101, the selective intelligence problem, but yeah, Yeah. it's MJ has no agency in this. And, uh, you know, it also makes her come off like a jerk after the end of the last movie where she accepts that he's Spider-Man and still wants to be with him. She's perpetually pissed off that he's Spider-Man. Yeah. And he's, he's like kind of a moron and a little oblivious, but no one, everyone in this movie needs to work on their communication. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's frustrating. It's, it's like every, there's like a great scene and then a like scene that's a confused puddle of mush and then another great scene. And, and that's what makes this movie a frustrating watch but it, again, it doesn't. It feels cohesive in a way. Uh, I guess in a way that like Batman Forever feels cohesive. Yeah, or I would I would attri- I equate this to one of us, the the Star Wars prequels. Yeah, it's like yeah, that yeah, where yeah. it's like, okay, I if if you gave me the toolkit that this movie has a toolkit and said build a better movie. Yeah, all the pieces are there. Yeah, I'm not saying I personally could make a better movie, but if someone would like to pay me to try, I will. <laughs> Uh, yeah it's it's like yeah and there are fun moments and there's fun character moments and some of the actions well done some of the effects don't look great though no they didn't no. they they don't hold up i mean there's, there's there's like that period this is in that period where cgi like either either effects houses weren't given enough time or something where just cgi never kind of looks right no, especially when when it's like, especially that opening uh, fight where they're both oh, unmasked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That looked really like the first two movies did a great job with like the feel like the physics of Spider-Man and yeah. feeling like, you know, you had a sense of geography in a way that, yeah. uh, you know, uh, this one just doesn't do. Yeah. And it's and it's confusing as hell. That first fight between Harry and Peter it, you don't know what, like, there's no weight to it. It's that problem with, like you said, mid-aughts CGI, where nothing feels like it has any weight. Yeah. And it does, nothing uh, nothing blends right with the practical effects. Right. And then, and there's, like, a lot of, like, weird choreography, too, in that fight, where they're, like, going on the, the sky surfboard and going off and, like, who's swinging on what and what are they doing? And it's same with the final fight, too. They do this weird stuff with, like, the surfboard that, like, just doesn't... It, like, it's the problem is it's a surfboard, a fucking flying snowboard just seems yeah. uh, completely weightless in a way that like the goblin glider didn't. Right, exactly. Like, the goblin glider is kind of a perfect design. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you know that uh, in the uh, original, his original iteration, the Green Goblin rode on a mechanical broomstick? I did. I did. Yeah. Know that. That's yeah. yeah. See, not, no one gets it right the first time. No. You know? You gotta refine, refine your ideas. And I mean, I think this is probably also Spider-Man three is probably also a, uh, uh, a victim of picking a release date before you have a movie. And I know that that like kind of worked in their favor for Spider-Man two. Like they started filming without a script and were kind of like putting it all together as they were going. They didn't even know they were going to have Tobey Maguire because he had his back problems. Yeah. They had all of that going on, but like, 
this is where this problem starts to happen. And it's a big problem now in Hollywood where you get things like we're going to meet this release date and then problems arise along the way. And instead of moving, they keep the release date and then they have to like either fire directors or, or, you know, scrap entire cuts and all sorts of things. And And this was kind of a big problem with these superhero tent poles at this point. Like, like it happened the year before with the third X-Men. Right. Where Fox was like, we we need to get this movie out by a certain date, just as a fuck you to Brian Singer who left the franchise to go do Superman returns. Yep. So they were like, get Brett Ratner in here, rush the damn thing. And it shows in that movie. Yeah. Which we'll get to at some point. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I mean, and like Rise of Skywalker, I think is another example of that where it's like they they clearly just wanted to hit the release date and and kind of said, damn, the torpedoes and it needed more work and needed more time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's uh, a discussion for another day. But oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Thinking about that, I'm like, man, I can't wait to talk about Batman Forever. Oh, you know? yeah. Because that's yeah. just a big, dumb piece of candy, you know? Well, it's also, that's also a movie where it's like the studio was just like, I don't care. Just sell the toys. It doesn't really matter. Nobody gives a shit. And then that movie comes out and it makes a ton of money. <laughs> yeah, that's the crazy thing about Batman Forever is it was so heavily marketed. Yeah. And a massive success. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a huge hit. And and it but the studio I don't think gave like uh, that movie doesn't have that much money and they don't like nobody really cared. It was just kind of like, I don't know, make another Batman and we'll yeah. see what happens. But it's also a case of I think the movie that came out is what they set out to make. Oh yeah. Like no, it, it's yeah. it's not like Spider-Man where it's like, "Oh, we tried too much stuff, it doesn't work." Sam Raimi's I think has admitted as much in interviews he's not happy Happy-ish. with how Spider-Man 3 came out. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think I, less so Batman and Robin, but Batman Forever, like Joel Schumacher and Tim Burton are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we're going for. That's what like, we're going That's what the Warner Brothers like. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, everyone was on target. Everyone was like, this is it. This is what yep, we're doing. No, no one was yeah. off the ball. No notes. No yeah. notes. <laughs> let's let's let, let me see the designs for the glasses from McDonald's. <laughs> Those were awesome. Those by the were way. cool. I I wish I still had mine. I don't know what happened to them. I had the Batman one, and my cousin had the Riddler one, where the handle was a question mark. Oh, that's great. I had I had Batman, and I had Robin, and then I don't know what happened to them. The glasses. Yeah. When we get to Batman, like oh, we're gonna. <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing: there have been three Spider-Men in our lifetime, and they're all a little different from each other. But I would say they all more or less feel like spider-man i'm not the biggest fan of the andrew garfield movies but i think their heart's in the right place yeah i dislike the movies i don't dislike him as spider-man and i think there are moments in both where you where where you get what they were going for it just has the it has a problem well the first movie the first amazing spider-man movie has this problem where it's trying to be Batman Begins. And then Amazing Spider-Man 2 is trying to be the Avengers. And it yeah. doesn't, neither tone really and, works. And, and and if you think uh, Spider-Man 3 has a problem juggling three villains, wait till you check out Amazing Spider-Man 2. Which uh, just goes from subplot to subplot, willy-nilly. <laughs> oh my God, so many subplots. But then, and then Tom Holland comes along and... 
like I'm not going to get into uh, No Way Home spoilers here because you haven't seen it yet. I have not, no. And it's I, I I thought it was wonderful, a wonderful movie. I've really liked all of the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. They've also up until this new one managed to make compelling movies with really like kind of the bottom of the barrel of Spider-Man villains. Yeah. Like they made Mysterio work, yeah. you know, and that's the thing is, and that's the problem with Venom in this versus Mysterio in, in a later Spider-Man is none of these characters are impossible to bring to the screen in some way. Yeah. You just have to, you have to believe in them a little bit. And, and Sam Raimi cared about Sandman, but notice we've talked the least about Sandman because he's just there. Visually, he's cool. Thomas Hayden Church is great casting. Yeah. But it's the least necessary character for the movie. Yeah, and because he's there, he's the one that shoehorns in the theme and like shoehorns in it the theme in such the most like sweaty ham-handed way yeah you know because like making him be the killer of uncle ben is so bizarre and so strange a choice you know and and it's also it's like it's one of those things where the death of uncle ben is like the death of bruce wayne's parents it's better if you if it's just some asshole right exactly like we're looking at you, 89 Batman. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and it's so confusing and confounding because it makes the world seem so small and we and uh, like it's uh, it's just so strange. I, it, however, the sequence where Sandman, you know, puts himself back together is one of the best sequences in these movies. Oh, yeah, uh, it's like a, no, a it's and that's the thing is you there, there is a TLC that goes into Sandman's visuals yeah. and Sandman's solo scenes that you don't get with uh, Harry Osborn and you don't right. get with Venom. There, I I'd sort of forgot. I don't think I'd seen this movie all the way through since we saw it in the theater. Oh. We saw this in, in college together. Yeah. I'd forgotten that Venom just has Topher Grace's voice yes. when he's got it. He's got his mom, just that voice coming out of that monster mouth. Yep. And like, if you're, I'm used now to like, you know, Eddie, <laughs> I'm going to talk to you like this. Like, which is dumb, but works. Like, yeah, that's what Venom would sound like. Or like in the animated series, he's like got a hissing kind of like creepy reptilian voice. Right. You want Spider-Man dead. I want Spider-Man dead. Did we just become best friends? Yeah. Like, like it's, it's, well, it's clear that they couldn't really afford Venom uh, fully. So they had to keep having Topher Grace show his weird, like vampire face. <laughs> It's it's that era of and they did like of the the Fantastic Four movies had this too where where the thing was a practical effect. <laughs> uh, uh, so you get a Venom who's like got a smaller build than Spider-Man right. and you have a, a a Ben Grimm who's shorter than the Human Torch because <laughs> it's like Michael Schickless is great casting, but he's also like five foot four. Right, exactly. So this was kind of the end of that era of like, OK, we've we've pushed this genre as far as we can go. Yeah. So we are going to bring it back with like a super grounded Batman movie. The villain isn't Killer Croc or Clayface. It's right. just the Joker. Right. And we're going to do an, a movie. Uh, we're going to do Iron Man, which is like, there's not much to lose making an Iron Man movie because he like Marvel went into making those movies without their A-listers. No. 
Right. And, yeah. and what they what they decided, and I think was the obviously the smart choice, was we're going to pin this all on a star, or on a, a great, a, it wasn't a star at the, that point, but a great actor, and he's yeah. going to sort of carry us through and set the tone. And, I mean, it worked. I mean, it was the biggest gamble probably that any studio has made in the past, what, 20 years or so? <laughs> like, you know. And, and also, they knew that the value there was the characters. Right. And... You, you, there's never, I mean, there are better MCU movies than others, but they all like respect the source material, right? Even if they have to change it and update it, even if they have to completely change who Mysterio is and how he works, it's never winking at the audience and it's never cynical or uninterested in those characters. Right. I mean, and even like, I think Spider-Man two, which is, you know, the high watermark doc Ock, I think is like the perfect example of this because it's like, that he's completely different from his comics iteration, but they like respected what like the idea behind a Spider-Man villain and what that means. You know, the best the the, the Spider-Man movies are reflected in the MCU movies in that when they work, it's because they cast really good actors who commit to the part. It, it and they give them uh, material that even if it's not one for one to the comics, isn't is interesting on screen. Exactly, and that's why. That's why I don't think Harry Osborn and Venom work in this movie, whereas Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus really works. And even when he's cheesy, I mean, Willem Dafoe is never going to phone it in no. as Green Goblin. He's exactly what you he's loving being evil opposite the hero who is pretty much he's the everyman hero. Yeah, well, and and. You know, Willem Dafoe hamming it up sort of sets the tone for all all three movies because of the such the like one the tone is so elevated um, stylistically and the earnestness sort of helps that sell that like hammy villain villainy too. You know, it's an interesting movie because yeah, you're right. It wasn't meant to be the finale of a trilogy it definitely wraps up it it, it closes some accounts out oh, yeah. from the first two movies but they plan to keep going yeah and i mean and, and they were going to and until sony said we need to hit this target date and sam raimi said i don't have enough time i need more time and, yeah and, they and said, then he left and then yeah. toby Maguire left and, and yeah. that's what gave us uh the amazing spider-man which yeah. is you know it's a it's a very different movie yeah. Amazing Spider-Man is is post Christopher Nolan yeah. Batman movies. Well, and that's and it came out the summer Avengers came out, and I think everyone sort of thought Avengers was going to be this this grand failed experiment that wasn't really going to work, and uh, and yeah. so Sony, I think, in their heads were like, well, we'll just we'll do the Batman Begins thing with Spider-Man, make it more grounded, make it you know appeal more into the YA set, and. You know, we'll we'll see where we go from there. And you know, Amazing Spider-Man did pretty well that summer, but uh, the juggernaut in the room really was the Avengers, and that that's the other inflection point for big blockbuster movies slash. And then Super Amazing Spider-Man Two is very much trying to be right. Like Sony was like, we're going to build this whole shared universe of Spider. Like there was going to be a Sinister Six movie. Right. There was going to be the Black Cat Silver Sable movie. They're still doing it. There's a Morbius movie coming out. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, and then they're they're making a Craven the Hunter movie, and that's and that's also where Venom Venom was going to slide in there somewhere, and and I'm sure that script was floating around probably from the '90s. <laughs> the lethal protector, bro. Yeah, Oy. 
Oh, but boy. it's a it's an interesting little time capsule of of blockbusters uh, circa 2007 because really everything did change in 2008 because the other big the other big hit in 2008 was kind of the kickoff of the nostalgia boom you had Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull that's right like we can we can dig our 80s guys out of mothballs yeah. Disney bought Star Wars like a little while after that. Yeah, we can we can start resurrecting the corpses of the uh, of the Lucas Spielberg Amblin uh, aesthetic and they grow. They're they're old now, and though they are beloved and cherished in real life, in their films they are horrible, miserable, burnout <laughs> losers. They're 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 accused of being communists. Their sons are space Nazis. Her- Harold Ramis is dead. <laughs> Uh, you know, yeah. Laurie Strode never leaves her house. Nope. Never has fun. I guess she does. She goes to the bar and, and flirts with that one guy. Oh, with, oh, with Will Patton? Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, wait, which PTSD Laurie Strode are we talking about here? We're never going to escape that franchise. No, I don't think so. We'll be doing this oh, part God. three podcast for 20 years. Halloween three <laughs> is sort of a part three. Halloween ends, I mean, is sort of yeah. a part three. Yeah. So yeah. we've got that. And uh, we've got Matrix Revolutions coming up next. That's right. Oh, boy, Sam, I'm so excited. You've got so much to say, I'm don't so you? I'm so excited. I have so much to say about the Matrix movies, and I cannot wait to yell at you. Not yell you at you. You can yell. I mean, not yell thing, at you, I, but just uh, uh, talk your look, ear off, I guess. I yeah, say. it's fine. I, it's, it, the first Matrix is a, is, a, is a beloved classic. I tried watching the second one recently, and it's much like, much like Spider-Man 3. I want to talk to people and ask them, like, at what point in the movie in this and in Spider-Man three or the Matrix Reloaded, did you feel like something was just off a little bit? (laughs) See, that's the thing. Like, here's the thing. And we'll get into it next week when I talk about Reloaded briefly. My feeling is Reloaded, while not as classically structured as the first Matrix, I think Reloaded is a little bit better than the first Matrix. And that's my big hot take. (laughs) No, it's fine. I've heard this hot take from you before. I know. You and I have been drinking together That's, for years. It's, it's it, with Spider-Man three. I, I watching it this time. I was like, I knew something was off the moment the in the opening credits where the sh- the score shifts jarringly from Danny Elfman to Christopher Young. Yeah. Like when a cassette tape switches sides. For me, it was it was the opening credits too, but it's the. Spider-Man 2 had the recap of the first Spider-Man with yeah. these beautiful Alex Ross paintings. Yeah. And, and this, it was just clips from the other movies. And I was like, oh, we are in trouble. <laughs> and some of them are clips and some of them are freeze frames. Yeah. It feels like those like little movies your phone makes with your photo app. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, oh, they've been doing this for almost a decade and everyone's tired. <laughs> That, that's that can be our new our new recurring segment of when did you realize something was, was wrong? wrong. <laughs> when in revolutions did you realize something was wrong? Is it the fact that Lawrence Fishburne remains in a seated position for the first 90 minutes of the movie? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah I, I've got a lot to say. I have a lot to say and I have a lot to say about that part, too. Well, we're, we're doing revolutions next, but uh, I believe since I picked. Uh, wait, do you know I? Didn't you pick Day of the Dead? Yeah, we're going to do Day of the Dead. Yeah. All right, cool, fun. Yeah. All right, yeah. never mind. Yeah, we're doing Revolutions and we're doing Day of the Dead because I picked RoboCop 3. Yes, and I was like, I want to watch a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> a 
shut up with this shit. I want to watch something good. It's super bleak and gory, but the effects are fantastic. And then after that, we'll go to, well, I guess we should probably do screen three probably after that. Yep. And then after that, oh, the world is our oyster, Will. We'll just take it one one thing at a time. Yeah. We'll throw darts, you know. Yeah. Well, I think we'll just see how how much pain we can cause the other one every week. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's we'll like, just switch off. You pick one, I'll pick one. And, and uh, yeah. You know. And then I'll be like, well, I'm going to show mercy on you. You get to watch Escape from the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> and then I'm going to pull out something like, oh, we're going to do Darkman 3. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, can you find Darkman 3? <laughs> Probably not for streaming. Let's find out. Oh, I bet you it's on uh, it's on Tubi. We, we keep talking about Batman. We're going to have Batman. There's a new Batman in March. We're going to have to watch Batman Forever and The Dark Knight Rises. That's right. You know. It's so funny. There are so many Batman movies, but those are like the only like actual part threes. Yeah, that's weird well, to think about. But like, yeah, Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, unlike Spider Man Three, Dark Knight Rises is very much meant to be the end of the road. Right. That that was like that's that's the final one. Yeah, and has its own completely different set of problems. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but similar. I mean, they're all similar. Like, it's never they're never too far. The problems are never too far apart it's always seems like everyone's tired (laughs) and no one really cares yeah we've talked about it with michael myers certainly with robocop yeah uh i mean look i should make it clear folks robocop 3 makes spider-man 3 look like the third man right (laughs) this movie is is still a fun watch if you if you're interested in the spider-man movies yeah the first two are fantastic and if you're curious there's a lot there's there's a like like Darth Vader. There's still some good in there, you know. Yeah, it's interesting as a curiosity, and the editor's cut is sort of intriguing. Uh, I, yes, I have still never watched it. So I, I watched it. The bit, the only really big difference that I remember, that I could tell because it's been a long time since I've seen the theatrical version is that uh, uh, the exposition butler Bernard. You know how he shows up at one point and is like, that's wrong, sir. Your father's glider, <laughs> sir. His wounds came from his glider. That scene doesn't exist in the editor's cut. And it's all internal on Harry's part. And Harry's sort of like coming to his realization that he, he needs to get rid of all his... Uh... Well, but what about Bernard? <laughs> I had something important to tell you, Mr. Osborne. No, Bernard's just there to get food at one point. <laughs> oh... I suppose I could have intervened sooner in my employer's megalomania. He is in the other movies. You know that he's that actor. I read. Yeah. Yeah. Your father only obsessed with his work. (laughs) But that's all he is. He's in Spider-Man 2. Bernard's just kind of a catty Alfred type. He's like a little passive aggressive. In this one, he's I forgot how much he's in it. Like they do tee him up before his big out of nowhere monologue. Yeah, no. And, and that scene's gone. So you have sort of the scenes with him being like a guest, a guest. (laughs) (laughs) They wanted Don Knotts for the part. Yeah. yeah. They did clearly, but it's, uh, but he's, it's more internal of him, his like wrestling with his demons, which makes it a stronger scene. But yeah, it, it, that's works so much better than Butler X Machina. It's, you know, I was there, sir. Like, <laughs> I was there that night. I snuck in after you went off to call the cops and I dressed his wounds. Lord. Ugh. I loved your father. 
was it just Willem Dafoe felt like like was like would Norman Osborn was like I want to hire the creepiest butler I can get or just like this fucking haunted mansion looking motherfucker. It's the only people who would work for the Osborns. That guy, I no guess. Else, yeah, no other. Every other butler would just uh, turn it down. I mean, it's, maybe, it's like that guy. It's like that guy in Iron Man three. Yeah, who's yeah. like, honestly, I hate working here. These guys are so weird. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's, it's it's Norman Osborn's dead wife's father. And he just like keeps him around. <laughs> just like under his employ. Like, yeah. <laughs> Willem Dafoe just berates him every once in a while. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your mother made my son weak. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, burner. A guest? <laughs> like a guest? Guest? Just get some food, man. Oh boy, what a weird. <laughs> what the whole amnesia thing is so bizarre. Like it, and we kind of glossed over it. But that is such a weird, like. To see it in a big budget Hollywood movie, like it, it's very comic booky, but it is also very soap opera y. And there's, you know, a big intersection between the two, but it's so bizarre to see it in like 2007 movies. It is so soap opera y. Like right down to that, that like Willem Dafoe portrait yeah. is like everything about that is just like, it is a, like, it's a, it's a one life to live set. Yeah, it's, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's Bernard in some other Sam Raimi like it, normally like that's like the the guy that's in every director's right. movie but that's Bruce Campbell and he can't play that part it's just like, so it's so weird because <laughs> it's like like it's like every other small character in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies is kind of like a little goofy and a little weird this guy's just like deathly serious and sad has this sad sack voice it's I don't think we talk about the butler and we we everyone talks about Peter Parker dancing. I don't think we make fun of the, the butler, butler enough. And yeah. I don't think we make fun of the 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 doing the twist and make an omelet sequence either. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so weird. I because that amnesia thing is so bizarre. I think everyone sort of is like, I I don't know what to do with this. I can point to the Spider-Man dancing thing. That's that's crazy. Yeah, that's like, oh, they're wrecking Venom. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, this is just like we, we we followed to like this is the sort of thing that like you could have this scene in one issue of Spider-Man. It's a six issue arc. Right. You know? Exactly. It's, it's, I, yeah. And yeah. And that's and that all lends itself to the fact that the, the final 20 minutes of this movie is so rushed. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, it's I mean, it's so funny. Like Peter is like gives up the black suit and then it just speed it just speed runs to the end it like gives yeah. up on on even trying to like tie up any emotional arc on on peter's part any like forgiveness you'd think you'd have a, a a conversation with aunt may right around there like you'd have something and it just is like nope putting on the suit we're going to fight the bad guy let's go <laughs> gotta get wailed on until my uh my new two-faced buddy can show up yeah there's a whole other fight with with harry and the uh bom- the pumpkin bombs and uh, you remember seeing this in the theater? Did you see this the same night as me? Yeah, we saw it. Yeah, we went together. Yeah, the the yeah. crowd was not into it. <laughs> no. This is the this is the only movie I've ever been to where people booed at the end. Well, it was it was funny because I kind of 
dug it, at least when we saw it in the theater. Like, I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. And and what annoyed me about the crowd was that it was like they clearly just turned on the earnestness uh, of it all. And like the, you know, whenever uh, whenever Toby Maguire, Maguire would start crying, everyone started laughing. And it was just yeah. like, it was like, come on, guys. And I was also, I was sitting next to, uh, well, it was back when you couldn't reserve seats in advance and it was like, I don't know why we did this in college. We was like, like, let's, let's coordinate 15 fucking people to all like have the same block of tickets. And so you and me and a couple others were there on the earlier side to save seats, to save seats in the theater, which makes you feel like an asshole. Yeah. And so that like the other half could pick up their girlfriends from acapella. (laughs) Right. And then when they get there, they make us move down to the end of the aisle. We should have gotten the center seats for being the seats. And I ended up sitting next to that one guy who would not <laughs> shut up. We had one person in our group who just would talk through everything. Like, like not like MST3K, just like, oh, I, I bet I know what happens. Oh, he's going to look in that truck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, he's turning into mud. Like, like that sort of like, shut up up so that really like i was like weirdly sour yet also defensive of this movie for a long time because i was super protective of this franchise me too and but i mean the the movie's a mess but it was like a really it was a really bad theater going experience and yeah it's the first time people i've ever seen people boo at the end of the of a movie but at the same time, I've never seen people applaud louder in a movie than when I saw Transformers <laughs> Age of Extinction. Everything's relative. Yeah. We'll get to Transformers Age of Extinction, too. Or no, Dark of the Moon is the third one. Dark of the Moon. Is that the third one? Yeah, Dark of yeah, the Moon. Yeah, that's the one I meant. The, the last Shia LaBeouf one without Megan Fox. Yeah, that's Dark of the Moon. Got that's it. Dark of the Moon. Right. And then there's G.I. Joe Origins bumblebee and and rise of bumblebee (laughs) they haven't they haven't made it to a third gi joe yet so uh, yeah they decided to reboot it after two it's why we're we're we're, it's why we're we don't have to talk about the amazing spider-man movies same reason no or do we or do we well i I can say nothing well i i I know enough uh from being on the internet uh that i i do know that he's he I guess it's a spoiler. He arrives in No Way Home. I haven't seen the movie, but I know he's in it. Andrew Garfield, that is. And probably by the time you hear this, I still won't have seen this movie because I also have a toddler. So uh, I just won't be getting out to the movie theater until No No Way Home ends up on VOD. <laughs> yeah, but it is a it. No Way Home is a lot of fun. I and I and in a, in a lot of ways does actually feel like the conclusion of a trilogy of movies. Oh, even though it's part of the MCU. I will say it does feel like the end of an arc of movies for, for that character. Um, Evan, your son wears a Spider-Man hat a lot, which I always, he uh, does. He, uh, he, and he also has a couple of Spider-Man shirts that he'll, he'll wear. He, uh, he hasn't really seen any Spider-Man anything, but I think he finds the design of Spider-Man very intriguing. So. Oh, I, and I actually I feel like that's how I gravitated towards Spider-Man when I was little because he there was like I lived right uh, uh, in Boston. I live right near a place called New England Comics and they had like the big spider signal in the yeah. window. And uh, there was um, uh, Spider-Man was they had the comic strip in the newspaper. Right. Every day. Yeah. 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 So it's like he's I mean, it's 
it's a fantastic design for a character. Yeah. I, I, he, Spider-Man was and is my favorite superhero. And I think when he works on screen or on the page is like represents everything I like in a superhero character. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that for sure. And I think when you deviate from that, you have to do it in a way that feels earned and ultimately Spider-Man three doesn't because it's just too scattered and doesn't take the, it takes the, the, the fun stuff too seriously and the serious stuff. It doesn't take seriously at all. Yeah. Uh, there's just no focus to this movie. It's just yeah. it really like the thing about the first two is that there's very, a very strong emotional thematic focus for both Spider-Man and Spider-Man yeah. two. And this movie just doesn't, I, for whatever reason, I know that there were like production problems. I know that the, the studio interfered and Avi Arad really wanted like toy stuff in it. And for whatever reason, it just every or everyone just being burnt out from working on this for, you know, probably eight, nine years. Like it just there's no focus. It's just is all yeah. over the place. The first two are both very earnest and kind of dorky in a lovable way. This one feels too goofy and honestly kind of cynical. <laughs> You know, tell me if I'm I'm wrong on this, Sam, but here's a, a, a thesis. I think Spider-Man stories work the best when Peter's kind of on the back foot in some way, either, you know, professionally or as Spider-Man, where like person in his personal life, something's going wrong or some, as Spider-Man, something's going wrong. I think when things are going too well for Spider-Man or Peter Parker is when stuff like Spider-Man stories just don't work and they sort of flail, flail around trying to figure out what's happening. And this kind of feels like that. Well, it, it is. <clears throat> this one starts with like his life's going great, but they don't do a convincing job of making his life fall apart from right. there. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I will say again, without giving anything away, Spider-Man No Way Home, excellent uh, take on Peter Parker really having his back to the wall. Well, like and, you kind of yeah. get, you know that like going in, oh, yeah. but there's even, it goes even further with oh. that. Like it's, it's really, he is on the back foot in a lot of ways in that movie. And, uh, I mean, I do think Tom Holland does a fantastic job as Spider-Man. He's, He's great. He yeah. hits all the right notes of the prior to Spider-Man, the prior to Peter's Parker. <laughs> Yeah, he's well, and he also the thing that the the Raimi movies don't even get, and as much as I love them, is they don't really get like the Spider-Man motormouth quip machine that uh, you know he is in the comics, and and the Andrew Garfield movies kind of had that, uh, not but he really, was always kind of a dick. He was always like, kind of a jerk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the the Tom Holland iteration of the character really does get the like motormouth quip aspect of the character, just nails it, which is kind of, but that's kind of the MCU's thing anyway but yeah, yeah but it works for that character yeah absolutely well will any final thoughts on on spider-man 3 no i mean i think it you know if you're coming to the sam raimi movies as uh for the first time i think it's absolutely worth watching i don't think it's a like a waste of your time but it's not it's very much lesser than the other two i think that's how i how i feel I agree. It's only the second best third movie Sam Raimi's ever made. <laughs> because nobody's unseaten Army of Darkness. No, not this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's fine. You'll, you you put this on on a Sunday afternoon, and you have no stake in it. It's 
yeah. perfectly fine piece of piece of mid 2000s cheese. Yeah. Uh, it's not boring. It like it's not boring the way like RoboCop three was boring. Right. It's just it's meandering in certain parts and it's it's totally off. But when it works, it's really well done in a way that makes the rest of the movie all the more frustrating. Yeah, I think that's true. And like especially the Sandman sequences where you're, it's like the movie wakes up from what it whatever yeah. it's doing. But yeah, Oops. next up. Matrix uh, Revolutions. Yeah. I, I was trying to think of a quote to say snarkily from Re- Matrix Revolutions, but I can't remember any. Everything that has a beginning has an end. <laughs> the everything that has a beginning has an end. That was on the poster. Yeah. Uh, not to be confused with the end is the beginning is the end. The single from the soundtrack to Batman and Robin. <laughs> which was used in the trailer for Watchmen. That's the alternate take, oh. which is called the beginning is the end is the beginning. Oh, Damn, outnerded. Don't you try to school me on my Smashing <laughs> Pumpkins knowledge. My knowledge of the Batman soundtracks. Oh yeah, when we get to Batman Forever, that soundtrack slaps so hard. That soundtrack, oh my god, so good. Kiss from a Rose. Oh, so uh, is it the best soundtrack to a bad movie? Uh, Pretty damn close, I think. Like Godzilla 98's it's, not bad, but yeah. I think this is better. Yeah, well, Godzilla 98 has like, a cover and then well two basically covers it has two covers it's got a pretty good well it's got brain stew but with godzilla roars Godzilla roars, that's pretty good and it's got um uh it's got a pretty good jamoroquai track yeah and it's got a rage against the machine yeah Yeah. it does have it does have there be no shelter here all right uh i still i still gotta go with uh uh Batman I still got to go with Batman. It's got the flaming lips. Yeah. It's got a. Uh, it's got the offspring at the peak of the offspring. Yeah, I think PJ Harvey's on there. Isn't you two on that one too? Yeah, yeah. Hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me. The real class, the best single. <laughs> I, I, that's my hot take for Batman Forever. You <laughs> two single is still better than Kiss from a Rose. I uh, I made seal a latte once when I worked at uh, at Starbucks. Have I told you this story? You have told me this story, yeah. Yeah. which is why when we get to Batman Forever, special guest, Seal. <laughs> Who can berate me again for his latte not being hot enough. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, clearly we've moved on from Spider-Man 3, uh, probably for the best. So this has been a lovely little weekly balm yeah. in these the, this cold, dark months of winter. And I am uh, one day going to finish editing a couple of them in time to put them up on the air. So we'll get around to that. And uh, it's it's been a delight. We've watched mostly painless movies so far. So I think the real joy and the real hurting is only about to begin. It's only to, it's only in the path before us. Yes. And and as yeah. as we all know, there is a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And walking the path. <laughs> matrix revolutions now streaming somewhere but yeah uh all right good times will until next time folks uh once again we're on twitter at podcast part three and uh you can find us uh we are on the apple podcast app we are on the stitcher and we are wherever uh podcasts of reasonable quality are available so until next time, all the best. Find someone to watch dumb movies and talk about them with you. It will make your life all the richer. Indeed. And if you want forgiveness, get religion. Oh, God, that's such a good line. <laughs> just that just all that is is to set up and go into that church.
Yeah, yep. that's it. It doesn't do anything else. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Topher Grace is in this movie. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really talk about him. No, but... in the Tom Hardy role. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, James yeah. Cromwell's in this movie. Yeah, who like thankless exposition? Yeah, well, it's because it's because the only other thing George Stacy and Gwen Stacy do of note is die horribly. So, die. anyway, <laughs> good night, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Good night. <laughs>